You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Being part of this wisdom to me, it stuck with me. He said, we're in the service industry. The place that I'm just fighting to be in and live in and plant myself in is we create music for people. Episode 423 of the Bobbycast with Josh Jenkins. Uh, there's a lot to Josh. Let's talk about a couple number ones. Jordan Davis, By Dirt. By Dirt. Find the one you can't Wrote live that. Also a writer on Walker Hayes, Fancy Like. Yeah, we fancy like Applebee's. The current the song he's got on the chart right now is Tucson Too Late with Jordan Davis. I'm racing through the desert, thinking I catch so, balloon. Really is a wonderful writer, but I've been a fan of this guy even as an artist. He is the lead singer and writer and you know, just the guy in Green River Ordinance. And this is Dancing Shoes. Put on a little in blue. Dancing shoes tonight. Singing, oh, my loving arms. My loving arms. Which is super cool. Like, it's, it's weird I get to be a fan of him in, like, two different versions. Uh, Josh Jenkins, a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. He's had artists recorded from Walker Hayes, Jordan Davis, Dustin Lynch, Randy Hauser, a whole bunch more. Uh, he's tall. I don't know. He's super thoughtful, smart. Very phil- philosophical. Very much so. Uh, it's kind. I didn't know that him and one of my friends were, were were as close as they are until after this interview. He brings it up. And then I called him and he was like, I'll let you hear it later. But he was like, that's one of my best friends since like college. And I was like, that's weird. And I said, do you like Green River Ordinance? And he goes, you know, Green River Ordinance? <laughs> you know, we had a whole thing, you know. But he's from Fort Worth, Texas. He had a family band as a kid. He started writing songs with his brother, Matt Jenkins, who's a big writer when, you know, they were younger. So I'm just going to play this for you. Thought this was great. This is one of those days, too, if I'm being honest, where we had a lot going on and we were leaving town for a few days. Mm-hmm. And we were just backed up one to the next. However, I really enjoyed this. And I was able to slow down and just sit with Josh and talk where sometimes if I'm just so wired and maybe me and the guest aren't clicking as much, it won't be like that. But this was really good. So hope you guys enjoy it. You can follow Josh at Josh C. Jenkins on Instagram, Josh C. Jenkins, or go to joshjenkinsmusic.com. And here we go, the Bobbycast with Josh Jenkins. Josh, how are you, buddy? Doing good, doing good. So 
today you were doing what? Because I was listening, but then I wanted to stop listening because I didn't want you to say it and to get my reaction before I gave it to you for real. So you had all these songs that you wrote that you feel like they're probably good songs, but they weren't cut. Yeah. And so now you're going to play them. Yeah. So the band that I was in grew up in a band called Green River Ordinance out of Texas. I loved Green River Ordinance. Did I have a funny story about you and that? I, I, I mean, my, loved. Well, you were kind. You were you were still in Texas. At I that was. Point. Yeah. My cousin texted me and she said, "Bobby Bones just played Dancing Shoes." Yeah, so I, I was a massive fan. Well, that was that was when we left our label, left the label Capital in New York, and then we went independent, and then that song released, and uh, people like yourself supported it as an independent band. It changed the game for us. But we hadn't made music in like ten years, and I, you know, I've been writing all these songs, and I was like. I was like, there's no better time. I was just uh, Songs that I love that are near and dear to me, I was like, it's time to put some music out. So all the guys are coming in town. Three of us live here, but the other two still live in Texas, so they're all coming in town next week. Do you feel like the songs that you're cutting, and allow me just to geek out a little bit because I'm a, I was a huge fan. Still am a huge fan. Didn't know it had been 10 years since you guys had, had worked on I knew it had been yeah, a while. I didn't know it had been, been 10 years. Uh, did, are these songs that you've written specifically for the group, for you? Or are they songs that you've written just generally speaking? You're like, dang, this is a good song. And I still have it right here. I would say 80% of them are songs I specifically wrote for the band. And then there's one or two that fits. My biggest kind of objective with the whole thing was like, I don't want this to sound like songs that I wrote for whoever that are now Green River songs. I was like, so I really, we did a reunion show. This is what kicked it up. We did a reunion show in Texas. Uh, two two nights, one in Dallas and one in Fort Worth, kind of not knowing, and both of them sold out, and a bunch of people flew in, and I was like, I started getting sentimental about all the time with the band, and so I started thinking about songs that would be personal to us as you know, guys that you know, a couple of us are married and have multiple kids, and just like that point of life, and so I embarked on trying to write for that, and there's a few songs that I've written in, written in town that will probably shape up as well, but um, but some of it, most of it's pretty personal to the band. Thinking of, well, I guess we used to call them GRO. Or, I mean, that's right. That's I mean, right. Thinking of that and also thinking of some of the songwriting stuff that you've done where you haven't been the face of it, uh, like Fancy Like with Walker. Yep. It's very different. A way different. I mean, it's very Absolutely. It is very different. Yep. And so is that a place that you had to get as a writer when you got to Nashville where you had to transition from, you've been doing all this stuff for Green River. I would just call them GRO. I don't want to be too in the weeds here. But now you're you're in Nashville and you're trying to write songs that people are going to record and are going to be on the charts. Yeah, it's it seems a bit like it's a different version of what a lot of people do, where they come from out of country. Yep, and then they're like, I got to figure out how to write country. That's right. Where you're coming from, I mean, you're as country. I mean, that's as country as it gets. Yeah, a version of it. And yep. now it's like I'm going to come and write some, for lack of a better term, pop country. Yeah. Is that was that a shift? Yeah, you know, a lot of it was my upbringing and our upbringing of music was. I was a product of my dad was a traditional country, you know, songwriter and we played Opry's in Texas. So I grew up on like Gene Watson, Merle Haggard songs as like a 12 year old. And then I got into like Matchbox 20 and Third Eye Blind and all of the more pop rock things. So as a kid, I was kind of consuming all of it. And then as Green River came about, it started as a blues rock band that folded into kind of a rootsy country Texas thing. Like Americana, Texas. Americana, if I had Texas. to really be specific. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it had a little pop influence. And so, but stylistically, I loved so much music that coming to Nashville, it really trained me how to go, hey, when you enter the room, like you have like a proverbial 
palette of colors you can paint with. And like when you enter in with certain artists, you get to open up certain parts of your creative thing. Like with Walker, it's like we get to open up all these colors that like otherwise I wouldn't be able to say or use. And so some of my, like I used to at our shows would freestyle or whatever, like that kind of thing. And so there was elements of that that were like, man, I get to bring that into some of this music that's not Green River at all. And so it was pretty fun. It was definitely a learned thing. I was like, how do I tap into that part of my brain? But yeah, it's muscles that you've used, but not in situations like you'll be using them now. Yep. Which is super cool to see. And and I definitely want to go through your story, but and I rarely just start with the songs, but I do want to do a couple of the songs first. And let's start with Walker since we brought that up. Uh, Fancy Like, which just was, I mean, it was humongous. It was a shifter. It shifted, the, it shifted all of it. It shifted people on TikTok going, oh, I can also be a country artist. Yeah. It shifted country artists to go, I should be on TikTok. Yep. It shifted songs getting in commercial. I mean, it was just, it did a lot. And I, when the song was written, it probably wasn't assumed it would do all that because nothing does that. No. So tell me about that day and who walks in the room when you finished it, were you like, this is good, but it, I've written with Walker before. When you finish with Walker, it's definitely Walker. Yep. It's like, well, this is a Walker thing. Let's Walker see what or happens. Bust. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So what was that whole, the whole day, was it memorable at all? Yeah, it was. And it was memorable in a personal way. It was, you know, obviously we were coming back into the rhythm of riding in the room. and After I, COVID? After COVID. And I had known Walker for so long. We were, we were riding back at the shack forever ago. And, you know, and so I'd known him forever and we would write a ton of songs that I love. And, and I just grew to admire who he was as a person, his story and his craft. And so that day, man, I would be honest, I was a little like coming in a little burned out. And I looked at my calendar. I was like, if it wasn't Walker, I wouldn't be on this day. And, but I show up, I know with Walker, we're going to have great conversation and laugh. And I never had met Shane Stevens or Cambo before. And we walked in the room and None of us had the idea or anything. All that we had was we started talking about life and journey and Walker's story with addiction. It was really because I had never met Shane Stevens and we just started, he was sharing his story. And so it was this really awesome, you know, hour and a half of like life stuff. And then Walker's like, I want to write something fun. And he's like, he had just finished country stuff. And he's like, my crew's hyped about this country stuff song. Let's write something fun. That's the one with Jake. Yeah. Got it. And so he grabs, we, he's kind of talking and he's like, and I grab a guitar and we're kind of jamming. And he starts talking about how people obviously think they're bougie because he's in a band, he's an artist and he goes to the nicest restaurants. And he's like, I just load the kids in the van and we go to Waffle House or Applebee's. And so we literally had no idea. We started jamming and fumbled out fancy like that and then and then and then walker and Chew walker fashion spits out the first two lines of the chorus and we're like oh my gosh what is this and then like two hours later we had the song and just laughed and had a lot of fun but i remember robert carlton was like before i went in the room he's like we need a walker radio song and i was like what one what is that two i left there going this is probably the most fun i've ever had in a room but i don't know if people would play it. You know, you have a perceived idea of what radio would play. And that was that. I loved it. And I thought it was super fun. But like Walker, I go, I don't know where this lives. I just know I love it. And uh, and then it got, his team heard it and were hyped on it. And then, and then he did the dance. And it was just like this thing where there was no calculation. The thing I love about the story of Fancy Like is there was zero calculation for a TikTok dance or like we need to get a brand. So someone, it was literally, we had a lot of fun and, and then it saw the domino of people responding really sent the song to where it went. It was no sort of calculation or like big machine that was like, 
we're going to push this over the mountain. We got a huge label. It felt, it felt like from our end that when the TikTok dance happened and people started grabbing a hold of it, that it just started moving in such a way that we just kind of held on for it. And I, the whole ride was like kind of surreal because there was zero expectation for what it did. Those days in a riding room when everybody's just kind of talking, again, you're far more knowledgeable, far more experienced than I am. But mostly you sit in there and talk because you don't have really an idea to jump on immediately. It's like, hey, good to see you. And if you meet somebody new, you're like, hey, what's up? We'll talk. But if you got something yeah. and you got something that you really brought to the room on purpose, you're like, I feel good about this. Let's go. Yeah. Some days you just don't. Yeah. Even if it's not a, a songwriting room, even if it's I'm trying to write jokes, I'm just like, man, I just am burnt out. Mm -hmm. Was that a bit of what that was? Or did you try some ideas and just didn't hit? And then you ended up an hour and a half later going, let's do this. Like, what did the room start at? It was honestly, there was no sort of, Sometimes you walk in a room and you feel the pressure. Like, what is? What are we going to write today? It literally just felt, you know, and kind of like, a, 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 I'm thankful that it did. A very peaceful, like, getting to know. So I don't even know how we got into the conversation about Shane and I started talking about his story and where he's been. And then Walker starts chiming in. And it really just felt like we didn't even get around to even throwing any ideas. Really? It just was literally like, to the point that, you know, not to be emo, but like, there was moments of like almost tears of like the journey of 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 Shane's story and and then Cambo being from California and then but but Walker really kind of sharing a lot of his story in that way because obviously I've had a lot of ton of conversations with Walker but not with Shane Stevens you know in that dynamic and so it was really beautiful honestly it was like the honestly I thought I had a moment in the right before we wrote the song thinking are we gonna write a song today and if we don't I'm not even mad about it because I'm loving like it felt like a therapy session in a way. And so that to me felt like it primed the whole room felt like, man, we've really got to know each other. And then, and then fancy like happened and the rest is crazy. This is where you're mature as a human, way more mature than I am, because I would be in the room and everybody would be talking, myself included. And I would go, man, they feel like I'm wasting their time. Like we've talked for 40 minutes and I know, I don't know these guys. They didn't come to Nashville to have a therapy session. Yeah. I would start to worry about that and be concerned because yeah. I wouldn't have the security in myself to just sit back and let it happen. Yeah. But had it not happened, the song probably would have never come out. Yeah. So that being said, are there times when that happens, but there's no song ever written at all? Yeah. And do you leave going, why did I just spend four hours there? Yeah. Because I would. Yeah. I do think you, you feel anxiety sometimes in a room. You're like, or you come in with something, you know, you like, and you're itching to get to it. I think the times that I have been like, breathe, just relax, like let the song come to you, let the, feel the room. And I do think there's a time when you're like, hey, y'all, we got to write a song. But um, I would do that five minutes in. Yeah, Guys, five, shut up, shut write up. a song. Yeah. But sometimes, and I found this true, is you kind of, you know, the best scenario is there is an energy of like getting to know each other or catching up. And then in that, you can, oh, you said something and that may be a better idea than what you had. It's like sitting in the room with Shane and Joshua or whoever, like, their ability i've learned from their ability to banter and to like play off each other and talk it kind of like loosens any sort of creative anxiety you get in a room you're like okay write a song and it's like dance and you're like well i don't in verses hey like let's relax and so a lot of that i feel like i'm trying to implement of just getting a lot of reps and doing it going man i feel like i'm personally better when there's a little bit of like a you know we're like there's a little bit of a relaxing, you know, sure. catching up in the air. But I do get the thought of like, y'all. And there's I, been I would feel days. bad. I would feel guilty. 
Yeah. Because I would feel like they think I'm wasting their time. Even sure. if they didn't, even if everything about them said they're in the moment having a good time, I would go, they think I'm a loser yeah. and I have no idea and I'm trying to just kill. Yeah. So good for you. That's yeah. a compliment. Like you're well, mature enough to sit in it. Some days, some days not. <laughs> some days I'm with you. I'm like, we got to write a song. Uh, Cause I'm looking at my clock going, oh, I got to like, how much time do we have? And then, and then I have to remind myself, a song doesn't have to be built in a day. And I got to go, our town can be really good about song, song, song. But like, it's cool. Even if we get, there's a little old school voice that I've heard from mentors of mine. been like, hey dude, we used to break for lunch. We used to be, we used to like, if you got a good idea in a day, like there's a little bit of a, you know, one of my mentors is Alan Shamblin. He's like, man, if you've got a good idea, you leave that day high. You're like, yes. So it's like, we might look all day for now. And that, that voice is one that I, I try to keep present versus the current state of song, song, song. Cause I get you, you're like, we gotta be out here by four and I got this and I got that. And sometimes you just, you miss the good ones. And I think with me, it wouldn't even be about me. It'd be about them. I would just be like, they have, they have stuff yeah, to do. Exactly. It's like, I feel when I'm talking to anybody at, I don't go to a bunch of parties cause I'm not that cool. But if I'm in any social setting and I'm talking to somebody, but there's also like 40, 28 people around and I'm talking to somebody face to face, I'm like, they do not, even though we're having a conversation, I'm like, they don't want to talk to me anymore. Mm. They definitely want to go somewhere else and talk to somebody else where the, the conversation is probably a little better. Mm. And I would be feeling that yeah. in the room. Yeah. But you know, some of us are mature like you. Some no, of us aren't I'm like with me. You. Um, so that song, it's weird that you don't, that TikTok doesn't pay for music. Oh gosh, dude, I wish they did. I asked them, I was like, cause at one point they were like, look how many people have reused your song. And I was like, do we get paid for that? And they're like, in the true music business fashion. Yeah, I think somebody worked out a deal somewhere and it was just like the most vague. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool, cool. That doesn't sound promising. And luckily it translates. Yep. But yep. we had a song, a Christmas song that Eddie and I wrote called Elf on the Shelf. And it was on Christmas. It was just getting spread and played like crazy. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to see the check. Oh, TikTok doesn't pay anything. Yeah, yeah. That sucked. Yeah. And we didn't even, nobody even cared outside of TikTok. So we made like literally nothing. Yep. That song blew up so much, it really couldn't be denied in that I don't deal with music as far as country music on the radio. I don't pick songs or anything. But I remember a lot of the executives going, do we play this? But it was just such a jackhammer that mm. if you didn't play it, you were going to be a loser. Mm. It wasn't even anybody wanted to run to play it. Yeah, yeah. Because it was so not what people were used to. Yeah. So it wasn't people racing out to go, let's get fancy like on. It was people holding out as long as they possibly yeah, could. It yeah. was crazy to oh, see. Bro, I, I tr that trickled down and I heard a lot about that. It was, I was crazy. It was a weird mix of emotions because on one hand, you're like, this is so fun. It's such a wild ride. And that, would, that was my first number one, not that number ones matter, but it was my first song that was that impactful. And I was like, oh gosh, is country radio going to play it? My insecure mind was like, is country radio going to play it? You know, and you get all the, you know, you feel like there's probably resistance on it. But at the end of the day, it was, it was, you know, it was wild to see it. It was total resistance, but yeah. it still broke through. Yeah. Even with, it may be the most resisted song I've ever seen. Yeah. At the same time, it was also a number one song and a pop culture moment. Yeah. You know, because I would be flipping through satellite radio and be on the pop station and I would hear it. Yeah. That's big. That doesn't happen very often. No. And I'm assuming that song you did pretty well, even with 25% split. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have four kids, four kids now. Actually, I remember a moment where it was, it was, it was on the commercial and it was during fall college football. And I kept getting texts from my buddies being like, if I hear your song one more time, the Applebee's commercial. And I was like, buddy, just know this. Every time you hear it, that I'm buying diapers for my kids. So every time it gets used anywhere, are you making money? 
Like, yeah, I like think television, television and yeah, TV and stuff is great. Like that, that makes, that's actually gets to us. And then, um, obviously radio, but outside of that, like TikTok, nothing, nothing, but you know, you realize at that point, it, this song would have not been what I don't believe without the TikTok. Oh, moment. Completely it agree. doesn't happen. Absolutely. I, I agree. And, so. and also getting lucky with the algorithm. Yep. I've seen some things that are awesome, not catch. Yep. And I've seen some things that are like, why catch and be massive. You caught and it was great. Yep. We rode the wave. It was the rare both of them hit. Yep. The product was amazing and the algorithm hit. And people kept spreading it and it worked. It's it, it's just such a lightning in a bottle type thing. Yep. And to catch lightning in a bottle, you gotta have lightning. That's it. And you had lightning. We didn't know we had we we knew we liked it. We knew we loved it. But that's the beauty of this business is you don't you you go, I've I've surrendered a little bit of the ideas. Like, is this a hit or not a hit? I just go, man, do I love it? At the end of the day, People will decide, but I think we all left going, we love this song, whatever it is, I don't know. And it was just a cool kind of coming back point to going, as creators, we just have to love it and then send it out in the world. And then sometimes you just, sometimes it goes, and sometimes you get the rocket ship. Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. And we're back on the Bobbycast. What was growing up like for you? What, 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 
What was the town that you you grew up in? We grew up in a, a town 30 minutes west of Fort Worth called Alito, Texas. Um, they hold this, the amount of state championships in Texas. So it's like Friday Night Lights vibe. I was not good at sports at all. Football, a football school? Football town, yeah. And um, my bro and I grew up playing music with my mom and dad. We were in a family band, and we would travel around Texas and play these little Opry's, Hole in the Wall, Cleburne, Wiley, Weatherford, Grapevine, anywhere that would have a little house band, and they would play predominantly old country music. And, and that's what you guys did? That's what we did. And the crowd was predominantly 40-plus in age, and we grew up singing George Jones and, and Gene Watson and Merle Haggard songs and Tracy Bird and all the early country. And we were just, that was our schooling of music. That was the only music I thought existed, really. And then grew up, and then my brother was like, I want to go to Nashville and be a, uh, an artist. And then I joined Green River as a 15-year-old and was like, I don't want to be a country artist. And I don't want to, you know, I, I went, so it was like, it became, we each kind of went our own separate ways. And, but mom and dad were supportive. And then I joined the band and we were playing in high school, slinging CDs and, and then, and went to college for a year. And then a manager that was our manager for a long time, Paul Steele was like, Hey, drop out of school after a year and let's, we're going to buy a van and trailer. And we're going to tour independently for two years, playing every place we can. We're going to hustle and try to get a record deal. So we made $0 for the longest time. Just like, I think I was making $1,000 a month, enough to pay rent and get some food. And then we were traveling in, in, the, in the van and doing the thing. And then we, we got a hold of Capitol Records out of New York and signed a deal. So that was my Green River journey. So you're in college for a year. Where'd you go to school? TCC, baby. And so, man, you're, I would say it was fortunate your parents were musicians, but I don't think you would have been in the place anyway without your parents being... yeah musicians and music lovers so what was their story what did they want to do when they were 17 18 years old my mom she she worked at the courthouse in fort worth as like a a 20 year old and she worked there her whole life and she left to go work at a, as, at a uh, law firm but came back but that was her story she tr she worked bottom up and then straight from just like interning to then working with the judge did she want to be an artist she never she just my dad was the creator i remember as a kid, my dad would get a yellow legal pad and he would be writing hooks out. And my dad, at that point in time, was working full-time, created his own graphic design company, was not able to go do music because of us. And But he loved music so much and songs. He said, if you're going to play music, write your own songs. And so we would do the family band thing, but he also was like, he would always just write hooks out. And he would. I remember sheets and sheets of hooks that he would write and he would be like, that was his passion and so that kind of spilled over onto my brother and I we would he would send us into separate rooms and say write a song as like 11 year olds each of you go into the room and write a song and bring it back we'll play it and so they loved music I think my mom loved music but because of my dad's passion she just was like hey he taught her how to sing harmony and then we're often the races as a family band so. and Matt was older than you right two years yeah two years is kind of a long time when you're bro it's not once you get older but what, did he, was he like a big older brother to you? Did it feel, or did you guys feel like buddies? We felt, I mean, he felt like a big older brother. I mean, he's the more like dominant alpha and I'm probably more like reserved, emotional, um, quiet one. And so, you know, we never wrote together ever until probably the last six or so years. We never, at no point in our childhood, wrote a song together. I think we stylistically just were a part of maybe our egos were like, you know, the brotherly thing, the brotherly competition. So I was doing the band thing. He never wrote on any of that. And then he was doing his artist thing, which then it turned into a writing thing. And so it wasn't until, honestly, right around the time we met Jordan that we started writing together. 
which is crazy. That's pretty wild that you grow up in the same house with the same parents, yeah, doing the same music, yeah. But yet you don't hop in and go, let's creatively do something together. Yeah, it's weird looking back now because we're so close in that regard. Did now. you avoid it then, or was it you just didn't? Do, I like because I'm sure you didn't go. We're never gonna write together. Yeah, or did it just not come up? I don't. Want, and maybe there was just like some brotherly stylistically we kind of were different but i think maybe there was some brotherly like competition like healthy competition did like, you look up to him i've always looked up to him yeah you know especially you know he came to town and was doing the artist thing and i was doing the label thing out in new york grinding and we we shared similar struggles in that regard like he was on universal south and music never came out and i was on the band and and we left the label. And so we, we were always aligned in that regard, stylistically a little different, but aligned in, in the journey of music. And so, but I always have looked up to him. He is truly my best, you know, outside of my wife, he's my, my best bud in town. And so it's, it's been really sweet, but. Your mom and dad, creative, they're, they're singing, they're playing music, but they're also, they have stable jobs. Yeah. So you don't anymore. I know. Because when you said you, you were in the family band and I, I knew that by reading about you, I was like, well, then his parents were like, run, be free, because we were free. No, they had real jobs. They had yeah. to pay a mortgage. Yeah. So what do they say when you're like, I'm, I'm checking out of here. You're in college. I'm going. Do they say, go ahead, but then come back if it's not working? That's pretty much all of the parents in the band and my parents were like, hey, you're young. You have time to go do this. If this doesn't work out, you can always come back. But even, you know, throughout the years of the band that were like, you know, being in a band is incredibly hard because of the economics of splitting it five ways and we we built a following, but even then, you know, when I met my wife and we're scrapping by and I'm in the band still and we're, the shows are great, but, you know, you just, it's just hard. My parents have always been like, what do you want to do? Like, you're a man now if you want to, if you can make that work. But they never at one point were like, you need to get off the road or you need to stop doing this because they trusted me to make that decision. So why'd you move to Nashville? I was traveling with the guys and we were doing that and I kept coming to town and being around my bro's crew and seeing this kind of creative engine that when I was off the road with Green River, it just, I didn't really have that. And I think at that point in my mind, I started thinking about, do I want to tour for the rest of my life? Or like for the most of my, you know, until I can't anymore to make a living. And I was like, I don't think I do. I really felt like met had met my wife, Jules, and I'd started thinking about like, the next five, six years. And so moving to Nashville was a way for me to invest and in things, being in a community that would provide an opportunity, no promises, but to pursue something that would, I could be here and be around my family. And, and so that was start of the start of that thought process for me. So coming to town was a little bit on my bro it was like, you should be here. You would love it. You would do great. And also just going, you know, let's get out of Texas. Let's go to Nashville and see if there's some, something for us up there outside of the band. So what do you do when you get here? Because it's not like there's a big pot of gold waiting for you. Like, all you got to do, Josh, is coming. Here's, here's your money. Like, what do you do? Because it doesn't feel like you're coming with the dreams of pursuing full artistry because you got to get back on the road again. That's right. And you know what that's like. Yeah. That sucks. That's yeah. hard. Yeah. And it's awesome, but it sucks. Yeah. So you're kind of starting over? Starting over. I mean, I Cobalt was adminning all the band stuff, and so they were plugged in here with writers. And it was an it was a good transition because it, the band was still going and there was still money and there's still work to be had and music out and a lot of things we were doing it was a time where that kind of covered us to get here i mean granted my wife worked at a she's a math major from a&m and she worked for an, a texas energy company so uh, we were she was carrying us because i wasn't making a ton of money and and but it was a scenario that 
the transition to that was like, hey, this is going to be a process. I didn't expect in my mind. I'm going to go to Nashville and like have a hit tomorrow. And she deserves an award for how patient. And she's been along the journey for a long time. You know, we've been here for 12 years. So I came in and I just dove straight into the songwriting thing. And it was, it was hard. It was a learning curve for sure. Writing co-writes with randoms yes especially at first that's 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 new right yeah just walking yeah. in a room i never met you let's write a song yeah you yeah because the band the way i wrote with the band was always much it was like a free open write when i want to write and and then you come to nashville and it's very much like you show up you get out you do you have an idea and it really in a tough way you learn the craft right it like it works you over to go oh i got to be prepared or oh i like i got to learn more about how this works and so it was a definitely a learning curve. And I even listened back to the songs I thought were good and they're not. They were like, these are, these are bad. And I was writing them at the time. You do, sometimes you don't see your growth until you listen back and go, goodness gracious, like those were tough. But I had a team around me that was willing to kind of invest and that really got the ball rolling in that way. Um, Did you have super fans that were like, hey, why aren't you putting out music? Yeah. Like, what's up? At that point, we were putting out music. And I think the band's profile like having dance and choosing some songs, it helped me transition into town because people are like, oh, we've heard of Green River Ordinance. Like we'll write with Josh. And so that helped me. And we, at that time, were still putting music out. Um, so it wasn't like we had gone dark yet. You mentioned a mentor earlier. Uh, tell me who that was again. And how did he end up being your mentor? Well, Alan Shamlin has just been a buddy. I met him through Robin Palmer a long time ago. And my brother and I have just connected with him at different points in our career. And I took, he took me to coffee forever ago. And, you know, he is just, he kind of embodies a little bit of what I kind of aspire to be as a creator. And he moves at such a beautiful, peaceful, slow pace because his process is so different than the, the song, 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 song thing. He's very methodical and just like, patience of creating something beautiful and you know the songs he's written the house that built me and i can't make you love me and don't laugh at me and his story uh, you know of how those songs came about and the patience it took to get there trickles down into our process going like you know we want we're we're trying to like okay we're it's 2023 there's a different climate of creative music but we can lean back and learn a little bit from that um, and so he's just been we you know he's been a dear friend we actually were my bro and i were flying out to colorado to do a a private gig and he happened to be on our flight. And so we're like, you know, hugged him and we sat and talked for two hours and he sit there and he talked about life and the soul of what we do. And, you know, he said this about music and I, I, I admire it. He said, music is spiritual. Like what we do, it's not all, we live at the crossroads of the art and commerce and he carries like, you can hear it in house that built me. Like he care, he really tries to get to the soul of, and the heart of what needs to be said. And he takes the time to say it. And so, He's been a person, not only personally, but professionally. I just, I always go, man, I just want that to, I want to be baptized in that thought a little bit. Did you ever write early on when you moved to town and you're writing with whomever? For me, it was probably when I first moved here, it was Lee Miller because I was mm. just like, I mean, he'd written Jamie Johnson. Goodness. He had written, you know, you, and I was just like, this is crazy. And Allie and I are friends, but I was just like, I can't, I'm actually a little bit intimidated. Yeah. And here I am trying to write comedy music with a guy who's got a ton of success. And I, was, I, I don't really know what to do. I was, I was a little bit, I felt like over my skis. Caught up. Yeah. Oh, it was all sure. good. But who was that for you whenever you moved to town and you're like, I, I'm writing with, I don't know, A, B, or C. Or you got in a room and you didn't know them. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're throwing 103 mile an hour fastballs. Oh, there was plenty of those where people are seasoned in and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
and you're insecure and you're going, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good at this. Can I do this? You know, I think coming into town, there was just, there was just, you know, people that had been doing it, you know, and I remember sitting in the room with Josh O and Josh Osborne and Trevor Rosen and they were kind enough. They were fans of the band and they were friends of my bros and we wrote and I was just like trying to keep up. And I was like, I, it was, they were so good and so like on the track that I just was like, I got a long way to go. I got some learning to do. And so, you know, battling through insecurity and self-doubt and all the things to stick with it and see that slow progression. But those guys, and and the beauty of this town is everybody, nobody, I really haven't had a ride where somebody made me feel bad about myself, which I'm thankful for because I know those exist. But so everybody was always supportive, but I always felt like, man, I got, I got a waste. I got some work to do, you know. Who was super cool? Hmm. Can't mention those two dudes already. Or three. You can't mention any of those. Shane, Josh, and you can't mention, who else did you say a minute ago? Any name you've mentioned, you can't mention. Who was super cool? Maybe you became friends with them. Maybe you just love being, being around them. I'll vamp while you do that. Uh, for me, it was uh, Jim Beavers. Mm. And at this point, Jim and I have written 30 comedy songs together, right? And I was just like, this dude's funny. He's also written Red Solo Cup. He's also written Tim McGraw. But he's like hilarious. And I was like, I got to be this guy's friend. So then we just started playing. Then we're, we're friends more than anything professional now. Like who was super cool? God, I mean, honestly. The writing room made a friendship with who? Mm. Goodness gracious. There's so many of them. I'm trying to think like a really good one. Early on, there was a girl named Robin Lerner who wrote She's My Kind of Rain. And she was... Tim McGraw, that that song, yeah. And she was just masterful at like melody and this element of like commercial and poetic and this thing. And so early on, like being in a room with her and watching her kind of craft was, I remember, that was was impactful on me because I was like, oh my gosh, like I'd never seen... That was one of my most impactful early writes. It was just, she was kind and she was gracious. And from then, obviously, there's people that you meet. I think you know people before, but like the Lorries of the world and the Allens of the world. and the um, Obviously, I can say Shane because I'm part of the Shane company. But I think those kind of people, what they did for me is they never had an ego in the room. And I think that's unique to me. Just You kind of go and go, and this person's going to be like, they have the right to be whatever. And I go, oh, like there's a graciousness to those guys like Shane, the way he creates is so gracious and collaborative and building up of, you know, your, your, uh, co-writers that I was, that, that has floored me to be in the room with people like that, that were like, Oh dang, you deserve, you could be whatever, but you're not. That's funny that you mentioned that because I had done a couple things with Walker and he is a confidence giver Mm -hmm. because I know what I ain't good at. And Walker be like, that's it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And I'm like, maybe I am. And I knew I wasn't, but I was like, maybe I am. Okay. Yeah. Like that, you're you're right. There was a real confidence, even that Walker would give me that I would be like, it would make me better. Yeah. Honestly, because heart rate would go down a little bit. So you could actually breathe. Yep. So you could actually whatever perform means, right, create. But there is a it's a superpower. Yeah. Some people have. It is. To instill confidence in folks to actually let them be a better performer yep it brings out the best in everybody and i think there's a i've learned that from them and i try to carry that i go like man if you leave the room and if someone feels small because you've been in the room with them i'm like this is not 
this is, we haven't met our purpose here. Like but being with those guys and they build you up and they give you confidence that you don't see in yourself. Like, that's it. You know, when Shane looks, he's like, that's it. Go with that. You're like, you go, oh, maybe, maybe I kind of know what I'm doing. You maybe know, I belong. That's maybe I belong. Feels, yeah, that's what exactly, it feels like to me. Exactly. Yeah. And so I really appreciate that. Even to this day, man, I go, there is a real thing because we're all insecure creators. It's like, dude, we doubt ourselves. And so to have people in the room that are speaking that life, I think it unlocks like the songs. Cause I think if you're like insecure and you're only thinking about yourself, you're probably not going to be creative as creative as you could be otherwise. Correct. So be I, tight. it's like shooting free throws. That's right. You know, tighter you get, where's you going to shoot? Yeah. And you just lock up, you get the yips. Oh yeah. Golf. God dang. <laughs> I live the yips. My whole life is the yips. The Bobby cast. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal. Unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is the Bobbycast. Uh, the most excited I've ever been in an awards show is mm. when Buy Dirt won. Ever. And I've been to a bunch and been part of a bunch, but I mean, you and your brother wrote that with Jordan, his brother. Yeah. And obviously Jordan and I were very close and I, I was just like, come on, come on. And when it, I, I couldn't believe it, but not in the way of like, I couldn't believe it because it shouldn't happen. I couldn't believe it because it just felt like something that I wanted 
and something that was that good, surely it's not going to win. Hmm. What did you think about going into that when that song was was up for the, the CMA? I think you just try to protect yourself a little bit going, man, getting the nomination is winning, which I believed to a degree, right? I was like, you try to pad your expectation, but you just, you kind of go in a little, even you go in going, am I really here? Is this really happening? The whole process you know, of that song, how it was born and the guys and the relational equity and then going to the, all of the stuff and then the awards, it just felt like we've already won. Like, not in the sense we've won the award, but I go, this is, this to, to go here with my bro, like the journey of this, and my wife and our journey and Jacob and, and, and Jordan. And so I think I was a little bit just padding my expectation, being like, we already won, man. We're good. You know, we tell each other, told each other that my bro and I were like, we already won. We, we're here. This is the win. And we just had NSAI awards and we were like, man. And so, you know, I think you're trying to protect yourself. But yeah, when, when it happened, you're just like, I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like, what is this even? I don't even know what I'm feeling. What were you listening for? Buh or Juh? I think the, the Buh from, buh, buh. from, from Reba. Uh, yeah. yeah. Buh, buh. Buh oh my God. That would have been crazy. It was, dude, it was like, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, stand up. You're like, you know, you can't prepare for moments where you're, you're like you have that out of body experience where you're like you're you're trying to soak it in, but it's such a big thing that we'd all felt. And obviously, we saw you back there, and it was just like we still were like, oh my gosh, this crazy. I rushed back there. I was back, yeah. I was with my wife sitting, and as soon as they won, I was like, I gotta go. Yeah, and I was God, I was so happy for you guys. Well, that was the coolest moment to well, me. Well, man, I we appreciate your love on it, man. It was if if we felt it, and it was special for us in so many ways. And even outside of being a hit or song of the year, whatever, it's like awards are great. It was like the soul of the song and the journey it took us on as brothers and friends and husbands and fathers and, and people like yourself supporting it were like, was the sweet spot. Sometimes people say stuff like, you know, brothers and love. And I don't believe them. I believe it with you for some reason. I feel like that, like you're, I feel like you're like very grounded and respectful of why you're here and, what you feel you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. Like you're like country Buddha well, sitting next dude, to you is what it feels like. Bro, I'm I'm trying, man. I think as a dad and the journey of this thing, I've thought a lot about, I've had a lot of internal, you know, the thing a successful the thing success will do to you is it'll reveal a little of your motive. And I I've had to recorrect and not that we were have bad motives, but it taught me a lot to go, okay, at this point in my career, Actually, Ben and I had this conversation, your buddy of ours. He, he, he imparted this wisdom to me. It stuck with me. He said, we're in the service industry. Which Ben? Rector. Oh, okay, got it. And I, it blew my mind to go, okay, so much of our world, if we're not careful, can be about, I want to have a hit. I want to be successful. I want to get a plaque. I want to, and then it becomes egocentric. And the Alan Shamlin voice that comes into my head or the Shane voice or whoever is like, hey, that is not bad. The place that I'm just fighting to be in and live in and plant myself in is we create music for people. And if when I'm in that posture going, hey, man, what song would, whether it's fun or lighthearted, it's a service injury of me and a benevolence going like, I want to give a song to the world that helps people or like, makes them laugh or whatever. But when I, when I assume that posture and I redirect, like, I don't like awards. I don't like lights. Like, I don't like giving, I don't like, because to me, it tangles up my ego and makes it just, it distracts me. And so I think from those things, I felt a little bit of like having to pull away from that. 
as sweet as awards are, I was like, man, what I enjoy way more. And, and, you know, I remember sitting in a room with Mark D. Sanders and he was like, the best, the best it ever gets is the four walls, man, inside these four walls. And I just had, I'm just recorrecting back to a place of like, I got to do this for the, I got to go to a show and I got to feel people. And then I got to go back and go, what is a song that they would want to hear? When I'm in that stream, it's like so fun. But when I think about Josh, you need another hit. You got a deal coming up. What about, what are you going to do after fancy? Like, I just want to shrivel up in the corner and be like, I don't know. I'm not that good. I'm, I'm better at if you and I, you're talking about your life and you're like, pour something out and like, we'll write that. I'm better at that than going the calculated part of it. So to answer, to come back to all of that, it's uh country Buddha. Like that's, you've been called that. Never, but I will. I will. You should I take will, that. You should wear the badge, dude. I will try. I'm gonna create a T-shirt. The literal badge, Country Buddha. Country Buddha. Has there ever been a song called "Pour Something Out"? But it feels like you're. It's the double meaning, right? You guys are great at it. Pour something mm. out, and it's pour something out. It's like, well, liquid, but except it's not. It's, it's, it's opening up. Yeah. Hey, a little treat for me to you. We should write it. <laughs> you want me writing? <laughs> write it right now. You don't want me writing. Hey, yet. you know, no hey. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai, if you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Bobbycast. Uh, by Dirt wasn't supposed to be a duet, duo, mm-hmm. what do you call it? Collaboration. No. They don't really sing to each other, but you know. Yeah. Uh, when you guys write that song, was it a Jordan song when you finished? Or did you guys all write and go, let's just write the best song and we'll see what happens? I think we were, the, where we were, you know, and truly to your point, when you say people love each other, I, I love those boys, man. I, obviously my bro is my, my best. I love him deeply. De- the dearest friend that I could ever have, you know, and, but meeting Jacob and Jordan, Jacob was still doing his artist thing. Jordan, like, wasn't even, when we were riding with Jacob, we hadn't even met Jordan. And then Jordan comes in and starts doing his artist thing and just developing. So there was so much, there was a culmination of relationship that led to that moment. We were outside of town. I remember the morning we were sitting outside with coffee, talking about fathers and husbands and some of our shortcomings. And, and that song, if we would have written that song in a national writing room, it would not would have been what it would have not been what it was. It was in a way it felt preserved for a moment that we were vulnerable about life, and then we would start talking about our grandpas, and and that song happened, and immediately it felt like a Jordan song to me. It felt like, hey, this is personal to us all. But like I said earlier, like I don't think any of us were like we we knew we loved it, but that's I was doing the demo later, going like. All I know is when I listen, I feel my arm, my hair on my arm stand up. And I go, that is the indicator to me that we now have to surrender it to the world. But I can't, I know that we've done our part because I believe in what we're saying. And so it always felt like a Jordan song to me. You know, at that point in his career, it was a different flavor for him from coming off some of the other stuff. So it was, it was like almost broadening what he does a little bit. What was, you write it, okay, it's Jordan's going to cut it. Then it's Jordan's cutting it, but Luke's, what was that? How did that go? Kind of walk me through that. Yeah, we had written it. It had been cut. And Anybody cut it before Jordan? No, we didn't even pitch it. Really? Jordan was like, I'm cutting this. And then, you know, I had done the demo. I was like, it needs, I need to make it sound like a single. So I like done it up and it, you know, it does all the, try to add energy to it. And then Paul Giovanni, his producer in a masterful way was like, no, stripping it all back. And he kept it small. And I remember Jordan playing us the version being like, okay, it sounds like more laid back. And Paul's like, trust me, I think this will serve the song best. And at that point, Jordan's like, I think I'm going to send it to Luke. I think we may like. And then he had sent it, and then he kind of con- communicated a little bit of the response. And I think at that point, you know, you go, Luke Bryan, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is, all of us were like, holy smokes, this is crazy. Um, and it was really cool to hear his voice on it because it felt like something, you know, it felt true to who he is. It wasn't like he was trying to be anything other than he was. So it was beautiful. And honestly, at that point, Jordan and, and Luke kind of formed a friendship that was cool to see as well. Give me the formula, which doesn't exist, but it does, of writing a hit song. I mean, my formula? The, the Nashville formula to write a hit song. What's the Nashville formula? Oh, gosh. Um, a memorable melody. I think a hook that is clever sometimes. Well, it depends. You can go the heart route. You need to find a, a song that is so such a freight train of emotion that is crafted in such a way that you can't that you feel lost in it you forget you're listening to it the house that built me those kind of songs or what if you have 90 minutes you only have 90 minutes to write a hit song what's that formula uh find a catchy hook whistles and claps i'm I'm going whistles and claps i'm going i'm going somebody give me a vulnerable title if we don't have it we're going whistles and claps yeah let's see if we can't find something i call it fabric i go what you know Music comes in and out, and there's an old, obviously, uh, author that said this. You know, you want you want something to have enough 
thing on it that you says it just slightly like you haven't heard it because we're so used, especially now, so much content. What's going to hit you in a way where you go, oh, I'm going to listen to that. Is it a voice? Is it a production? Is it a progression? Is it a melody? Is it a hook? So I would go, what are, where is our secret sauce? It's like, okay, that's our secret sauce. Let's whistles and claps. And, and then we'll find a way to get to that, to where you hear it and you go, that's the fabric on that's going to grab you a little mm-hmm. bit. Because that to me, what we want when people hear a song is them to go, I want to hear it again. And so like, what kind of fabric are we putting in it to grab a hold of you? It's like, if it goes down so smooth, you don't remember anything about it then. So I would say 90 minutes, I would do a quick survey of what heart songs we have. And if they're, if you said, I have heart like a truck, I'm going, we're writing that song. I know how to do that. Probably wouldn't have written it as good as they did, but I will try. But I know that like you can weave in a little bit of the heart with what Nashville does, which is the metaphor, which is beautiful. Song length. It's a bit of an issue. Now they just edit them down. And again, I'm not directly involved with what radio or satellite radio does, but I know they like to songs to be short so they can move on to the next mm-hmm. one. You know, when we were younger, you could have a four and a half minute song. I know. You can't do that anymore. And if you're writing something great and it's long, you're like, well, what are we going to cut out? Like, do we yeah. need to cut the bridge in half? Do we need. Is that always on your mind, like how long the song is? Or do you wait till it's over to make that decision? I kind of wait and I go, to me, it's just like a feeling. I go, okay, this feels appropriate. If they want to shorten it, they will. You know, we're not going to ride a bridge if we don't need it. But I, I normally I go, how do we preserve? To me, a song will tell you, and that sounds so wacky, like a song will tell you. But so a lot of times I go, it feels complete. Like it feels like if we pull that out, that just feels incomplete. So like, let's deliver it complete. And if they come back and say, hey, we need to trim it. Granted, if you're making a five-minute song, you're going like, hey, I'll make a five-minute song. We just got to know that maybe they'll cut it, but maybe it'll be track 17, whatever, you know, you may. But I like, even the single thing, the more I think about that, I go, I just don't want to miss a song because I'm trying to think about a radio song. I go, I would rather, I'd rather have a song that feels like a five-minute song that people go, have you heard that song on the record? And they'd be like, well, maybe it's not a single. Then go like, have to cut everything down. I want to do best and worst. The best thing about the music industry now, and the, what's the most difficult? What's the worst thing? Mm. Best thing about the music business now is I think it's fractured in a positive way where the structures of songs finding their way or artists finding their way has fractured in a way where I feel like there's a power shift. And as a songwriter, what I want to see with my friends that are artists is their ability to get music out and have some level of control of that process. And you're seeing with technology, obviously, that that is, I've seen people that don't have anything going that are friends that connect and build an audience outside of a label structure. And I love labels, but I go, man, it's nice to see that. I I get excited about that because as a creator, I go, and I can write with you and we can get stuff going and you can can connect and build something. And it doesn't have to be, well, I'm going to go, I've got to go the traditional route. And then if radio, what if radio doesn't work? We don't have a plan. It's like, to me, that is beautiful. And also complicated because without radio, what do songwriters make money on? So snowballing off of that, it's the most optimistic I have been about seeing songs connect with people and people build build fan bases. It's the most confused I've been about how do we as songwriters, we have 50 million streams on a song, but we're not making any money. And I'm seeing careers take off and without radio, radio and labels are tentative to work singles. You know, I have friends that are like, have songs that have a ton of streams that they don't get a single on. And so as writers are going like, man, I want to show up every day and do this because I love it. But how do we do this? You know, you're, you're, you know, there's some sort of 
we're edging towards a better solution. So I would say probably best and worst, maybe complicated at the moment. Where can the most growth happen right now? I think the most growth could happen if, this is a long shot, but this is speaking as a songwriter. The ecosystem of music needs to, I think, needs to be recalibrated in a way where songwriters can have some level of, of, of benefit from songs not being on radio. And I think it's a, it's a weird world when it's like a baseball reference. It's like, man, every time you get up to the plate, you have to hit home run. You're like, dude, I don't know if I can do that. I think sometimes the idea that a writer is going to hit up, get, and it, get hits. And so everything below that food chain is not sustainable. To me, seems like the whole ecosystem is suffering because of that foundation is not set. So I look at all my friends and I go, man, there's got to be a way to, to include songwriters if it's included on them it'd be awesome if some big artist was like hey dude you know what we're going to cut a deal we have power with the labels like we're going to cut a deal and we're going to give a 10 percent of the master split between the writers like to me it's hard to get that because it's not a norm at the moment but i go that would be a game changer and then the ecosystem all thrives because now you're writing songs not trying to get a number one but you're writing songs because you love them because you and i both know right now a lot of songs that are working don't fit the traditional radio format. And I go, man, I want to write, I want to go into a room and think about a five-minute song. And what if it gets 50 million streams, but it's never a number one? I'm like, what if we had access to any sort of ownership on a master that the, I go, then the ecosystem, and I honestly think the main objective that I see from that is not songwriters making a living. It is songs getting better because writers aren't writing songs trying to make something that fits in this space. And I go, when that happens, I know my, a lot of my friends, man, right, going, well, well, it's not for radio, what? And I go, but no, what is in you that's beautiful and fearless and, and brave? I want to hear that song. I, like, I don't need to hear your three-and-a-half-minute beer song. Oh, that's cool. Give me your song that's like the deep cut. Like That's the one I want. And I go, I think more than ever people have an appetite for it. Writers are scared to go there because they don't think they'll make money. And I go, okay, let's figure that out. So that would be a thing where I go, God, that would – and not just as a songwriter, I think the ecosystem then benefits. It would set a precedent. If one, one and a half major artists yep. did it, yep. it would set a precedent. Yep. Now, that's a lot of sacrifice from everybody that owns, I mean, 10% is a lot, yep. but it would absolutely change the game. I've often thought, and again, this is just a cockamamie idea, and I'll relate it to like the podcast network that, that I have. I've got six, seven shows, and if this show this show does really well. This podcast here does tons and tons of streams. And it makes a really good amount of money. But what happens is I make the money, but there's a, we'll, we'll just give it a number, 20% of that streams down into the other shows in the network automatically. Mm-hmm. So everybody who kills it, kills it. Yeah. But we root for everybody because if I kill it, Caroline Hobby makes a little money off mm-hmm. of it. Amy makes a little, if Amy kills it, I make. So what if you did that sort of system on a, we'll call it a project, an EP and LP. So whatever song, let's just call it song number two, old Blur, my favorite song back in the day, it crushes and gets a billion streams and gets played on the radio. And well, that song, there should be like a, you say 10% for the, the masters. What about 10, 15% of a, like a profit share type thing for all the music mm-hmm. on that project? So the artist is also picking songs that they are passionate about as, w- as well as songs that they think will be hits. Yeah. And it gives people a reason to write wonderful songs and right. hit songs because you can't just write all wonderful songs all the time because you know what? You got to pay the bills. That's right. 
and art is only worth anything as far as money goes if people buy it. Yeah. If not, you're gonna be Van Gogh and die, and then you're gonna get famous. Yeah. So I always felt like there was a profit share on a project type. Man, that's a model. Not a lot. All it takes is a little. All it takes is just a section. Yeah. Ten, fifteen percent of the profit that dribbles into everything, but everything else dribbles back up into that too. Yeah. That way, everybody makes a little something. Man, you can have that too. Amen. Pour something out, and you can have that model. Yep. Country Buddha gonna change change (laughs) the game. I'm just. I think I feel optimistic. I think we're in a place where. Yeah, me too. I think we're headed towards growth in a lot of ways that I go, it's going to be good for not only songwriters, but the, the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. Content just in general. Yeah. Songs, you don't, you don't have to be anything to have a song and build an audience. You yeah. don't have to be anything. No. You don't have to be anywhere. It's great to be places, and it helps at times to be places for sure. It helps to have a label. It helps to get radio play at times. It helps to get playlisted. But if you're not, that for sure doesn't mean you can't do it. Yep. You just have to have something that works. That's it. And that people that resonates with folks. Yep. And if you can do that, it's the first time I think in my life I've seen that happen. Yep. If you're just good and you're good consistently, it's 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 going to exist. Yep. And that excites me. I'm, I'm with you, man. Even I, about content. It excites me. Yep. Because it used to be, well, if you don't have a major radio station right. or screw that, get you a microphone. It's gonna be hard. It, would it be easier to be put on in all these markets? Sure. But get your box, record it, and if you're so compelling, sure you're starting from a detriment. But if it's so compelling, you're going to be in the game. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I think even early band days, I go, God, well, we didn't have Instagram until you know a little later. But I go, all of the tools to get to people. I go, I tell my friends now, I go, you can't be too precious with any sort of technology. You just use it as a way that you get access to people. They may not react, but like you said, the ability to connect is there. You just you got to be great and you got to be consistent, like you said. And so I'm with you, man. I love that. I love that there's, it's, things can catch fire and go. And then, and I don't, I love labels, but I go, I like that, like, they have to then go, what? Uh, we didn't think that. I go, that's good for the business. It's good that, like, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes Joe Smo from wherever that plays on a guitar in his bedroom has more streams yeah. than your artist that's on radio. And I go, that's good for music. That's how music should be. It's a little bit of the Wild West. I feel enlightened. I'll be honest with you. I feel country enlightened. Well, dude, I'm going to carry that with me. You should. Because yeah. I'm going to carry it with me too out of here. What's the goal? That's a very vague, broad question purposefully. But what's the goal? I'm chasing, I'm chasing purpose amidst a business that is built on being commercial and successful on radio. So I'm trying to, the goal for me at this point is looking inward and trying to chase the songs that I want to write. And they're not ones that come. I know to get to the songs I want to write takes a unique path because I, I, I want to write ditties and up-tempo and I'm, they don't have to be slow, but this, like I said, mentors I have and the songs I'm trying to get to, I go, I'm going to have to do a little bit of, I can't be chasing success so that's the next chapter for me is going okay we've had some we've got the monkey off the back Mm -hmm. dig into your soul and dig into tune into the world and go what needs to be said and how are you going to chase and pursue those ideas that is your purpose going forward it's not to go i personally to each his own my objective is not i want to make a living doing this because i have four kids but i go god it's 
better when I feel connected to the purpose and not just go like, I want to go have a bunch of hits. I, 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 I want to do that. I want to have songs that work to make money to provide for my family and my life. But ultimately, the most satisfying thing is hopefully writing a song that says something. And Green River Ordinance. What's That's up? right. What's up? It's coming. We're gonna we're gonna do a reunion show. Another one in the in the spring. And once again, I go. I think there was a period of our career that I was like, we're thinking about. If you're thinking about what do people want to hear versus hey, this is what I want to say. We created backwards. Well, we need to. What do people want to hear? Let's create. And I think I'm back to a place of going. Let's just tell the truth. And so I'm excited about that as a 38 year old going. Let's just make some music that feels truthful to us as 38 year olds that have been through marriages falling apart and valleys and mountains and let's put some stuff in a thing and and just like you have said let's we have the ability to connect why wouldn't we do this even if there's a couple of thousand people that it starts a conversation with and you get that email and you've had it with your show and everything that you do it's like when someone hits you and said man thank you for what you do like you have helped me or hey man this song is our daughter's song or what you said and that joke or whatever it's like those kind of trickle down valuable things on a soul level or go i want to engage in that, those conversations and not not in an ego way but in a way where i go man why not i like it i like i like you and i'll end with that it's pretty that's pretty astute it's pretty i like you <laughs> i'll take it yeah uh we have you know a lot of mutual friends yeah um, i've been a big fan of you for a long time with before i knew you and i don't feel like i know you know you now but we've met and yeah we definitely have mutual friends so i am a big fan uh Good luck, man. I know the new Jordan song, Tucson Too Late, is, is now on the chart. Yeah. And for your sake, I hope it doesn't become a hit. Well, I hope it's just an art song that people oh, relate gosh. to. Oh, no, you don't want that? I, no, <laughs> here's the deal. We thread the... I said it. I got to make a living. If, if I was getting equity shit, no, but it's that's the song that I love. And yeah, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm messing with you. It was just an easy one. You know? It was. It was an easy one. All right, you guys follow. Uh, we told you at the beginning of this, uh, Josh C. Jenkins on Instagram, uh, joshjenkinsmusic.com. A uh, huge fan. Good luck. And I'll, I'll see you at the next CMAs or wherever you're getting your awards. Well, thank That's you. pretty cool, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.